Gua sobrok. Ai. <laughs> There's not a rule that you have to use the three subs. He's he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the third sub podcast presented by Macy Sports. We're back, episode 111, very satisfying number and we're we're back in a, another jam-packed week of, of Canadian soccer talk really, a lengthy list of, of, of talking points ahead of us. I'm your co-host Alexander Gungaruzic, joined as always by Samuel Rowan and I guess before we dive into all this, we won't waste much time, but uh, how's it going, Sam? It's been a week since we chat. Obviously, you're over on a different side of the pond, so how are things holding up uh, in, in this new world of yours that you're currently living in? Yeah, not too bad. We're, we're moving along. We're, we're getting used to things. We're getting settled in and, uh, you know, getting settled into being able to still stay up to date with Whitecaps, still stay up to date with Canadian soccer news. So uh, excited to dive into all this. We've got a little bit of Rapids, you know, match to break down for the Whitecaps. Obviously, FC Dallas this weekend, which is interesting because it's a, another team in turmoil. You know, the Whitecaps faced RSL earlier. Brand new interim coach. FC Dallas, same situation this weekend. Now, mind you, not a brand new interim coach. This is an interim coach they've had before, but we'll get into that. Then, obviously, Canadian Championship. Uh, was a big slate of matches. CPL versus MLS action. This is what we live for on the third oh, sub. Always. So that was fun. You know, would would have liked to see uh, another upset. That would have been great. But I think, I do think overall the CPL team showed really well. So we'll dive into that a little bit, and then you know, just looking forward for what the next couple weeks has ahead. But as always, uh, looking forward to getting into it here on the third sub. Yeah. Well, I mean, I certainly have my thoughts on the Canadian Championship, so I won't you know, talk about that too much quite yet, but let's return to the white caps. You know, uh, uh, since we last spoke, obviously the Colorado Rapids game, the lone match on the Slayton, a good, you know, it was an interesting match for the white caps. We kind of hinted at it before. It was a tough one, probably one of their toughest ones left in the schedule in a way game against the team. One of the hottest teams in MLS, 10 games and beaten heading into this one best team. It, it was certainly one where you wonder, okay, could the white caps get something out of this game? And they go out and pick up a 1-1 draw. I think to go down 1-0 in Colorado, the altitude, all that, to come back, snatch a point. Honestly, looking back at some of the chances they got in that second half, they probably could have scored one or two and even you know snuck away with three points. But overall, let's say a decent point. And I mean, to start off with all, with all that we'll talk about from this Colorado game, Sam, I'll just throw it out to you because it's always worth, you know, asking when 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 a team draws, especially at this time of year. Was this a point gain, do you think, for the Whitecaps or two points drops? I certainly know you, you tend to have an opinion on that on that question in most games because I, I have my thoughts on what I think it is. But do you think this was a good point for the Whitecaps or do you think they should have maybe gotten a bit more out of it? Well, it's a great lead because it's something I've struggled with internally. And, you know, after no draws last year, there have been a lot more of these to debate this season. So I have these two reactions, right? One is, one, I'm frustrated because I think that you look at the slow start, you look at opportunities missed as the match went on in the second half, and you think, man, that's that's two points lost. That was a huge opportunity. 
Then you go, one of the best teams in the Western Conference on the road. You consider the upcoming slate of matches the Whitecaps had, and you go, you know, you, you take a point out of that, you move on, you hope to to maximize this next stretch. So I think big picture, it, it's great to get a point. You just don't worry about it too much. You move on. But part of me goes, man, this Whitecaps team is capable of more. They they could have gotten all three points. They could have started the match a lot better. What if Eric Godoy is healthy? I think, you know, Andy Rose really struggled, and we can we can maybe get into that a little bit. But I think given how I felt about the Whitecaps going into this year, a point would have been a terrific result. Given the way they've been trending lately, you go, ah, gee, they, they could have, you know, maybe grinded out and got a little more out of that. But I, I do think it's a point gained at the end of the day. But it's nice that my expectations are being raised to the point where there isn't that feeling of satisfaction with a 1-1 draw against a good team anymore. You, with Ryan Gold on the field, you, you feel like you can you can win any match you're in. And so that, if you're a Whitecaps fan, that has to be a good feeling. You know, that, that frustration, if it's something you sense, I, I think that's really encouraging. No, it's, I think that last point is most important, how you, your expectations are higher. I think for me, it's just it's the whole circumstances around the game. I think you can't ignore a point against the top team. Again, what, what I mentioned heading into the in last week's show in episode 110, this is a team you could afford to drop points to. Because what happens if you say if you lost to Colorado, you're not it's, it's not a It's not a six-pointer. It's really only about what you're able to gain out of that. Exactly. It's only it's an equation where you, all the Whitecaps had to do was gain because you're not dropping points to a rival. You're not, you know, hurting your own playoff chances. The one thing that has to have hurt them, just looking back at the last three games, they've been royally, you know, hit by hit by a train, really, for a lack of a better way to put it, in the out of town scoreboard the last it's, three it's games. It's been like so every bad. <laughs> result that could have gone against them is gone. Like Minnesota yeah. going away to LA Galaxy, snatching out a win. Boom. Like this and that, like Houston beating this team, like every possible R- result. RSL's you... been on a bit of a heater. You know? yeah, yeah, RSL, LA Galaxy's doing bad. So that there's, I'm pretty sure right now there's a, a window of about six points between fifth or fourth in MLS or in the West, sorry, and like 12th. It, it feels like every time I'm looking at Futmob on, on MLS game day, I'm like, okay, what results good for the Wake Out? That went against them, all that went against them. So, had the had the results been a bit more favorable as of late, I think the one point against Colorado looks fantastic. It looks phenomenal. You take that and run. But I think just because of how things are going, they really needed a three points. So I'll say it's good, maybe borderline great, a great point. Uh, you know, it's definitely not in the ex- excellent, the stupendous, whatever adjective you want to use for for that. And uh, but but at the same time, it, it really it's going to be one of those points that's judged in a series of games. You look at what's ahead. You got, you know, the, the the Dallas game, first of all, is, is a massive. That's that's probably a six-pointer at home. That's a must-win. You look, you got a Dynamo game after. That's probably a must-win away. If you look back at this series of three games we talk, heck, let's, let's throw in San Jose. It's the next, you know, the, the, the next three games. If you're looking back at this series of four games, Colorado, Dallas, Houston, San Jose, the Whitecaps have seven, ten points out of this game, these games. You're happy, but if you're looking back, be like, oh, they drew Colorado, but then they they drew Dallas, and then they lost away to Houston, then they won at San Jose. No, you're looking at okay, that that Colorado game they should have got more out of. Because I agree, we'll talk about the game. They should have, uh, they certainly had a chance to win. And when when Lucas Cavallini, your star striker, guy brought in to score goals, misses some chances that a, a guy of his caliber usually puts away to win a game. 
you, you only wonder what you know what could have happened how could they have gotten more out of it but i think this game is, is certainly one that's going to be judged after the next three games because they've got three six pointers that honestly could determine if they make the playoffs or not yeah i've been i've been kind of banging on the table since the beginning of september when uh you know shout out i don't know if i mentioned in the pod but you know third sub represented on on sportsnet 650 a couple a couple weeks back and on that show that I did, I talked about these really these three matches coming up and kind of looking at the whole strength of schedule. And yeah, this is this is it. This is the Whitecaps season. FC Dallas, Houston, San Jose. You need at, le- at, home. at least six, seven is good, nine is obviously ideal. It it needs to be one of those three. I think if you get anything that less than six points out of those matches, you're you know, you're creating a serious uphill battle that's probably going to be tough because, you know, the odds that you're going to roll over SKC, roll over Seattle, you know, roll over some of these teams, every all of these teams right around you in the playoff race is unlikely. So if you can buy yourself a little bit of, a little bit of room now against these weaker teams, you know, teams with coaching struggles, teams with, with you know, players, teams with dysfunction, um, that that's the opportunity you're looking for. So I, I think, yeah, at the end of the day, this is a, a Rapids result that's judged well after the fact, you know, rather than how we're judging it right now. Yeah, well, we'll go to the, the Rapids game to not pivot too far, but I'll just say one say, thing I'll say about this Dallas-Houston-San Jose game. I'm looking at the standings right now. Those are the only three games they're going to play with teams that are currently below them in the standings. They obviously play San Jose twice in the last 10 games, but other than that, this series of three games, they have a chance to separate themselves from San Jose, Dallas, and Houston and really make it a, a five-horse race between the Galaxy, Portland, RSL, Minnesota, LAFC, and the Caps. So if, if they can separate themselves, plus considering they have a game in hand on pretty much everyone except Minnesota, like these next three games are, are massive on, on, on so many fronts. But obviously, you know, before you look forward, sometimes you have to look back. Colorado, you know, First of all, let's start let's start with what you kind of hinted at at the beginning, the back three. They stick with the back three again. It, it had worked to, to decent results before. A back three of Eric Godoy, Florian Young with Ranko Veselinovic certainly looked quite good, quite solid. Eric Godoy out with a bit of a muscle issue. Andy Rose is slotted in. What were your thoughts on the, the whole back three? And do you think, I guess we'll, we'll add the question for us to talk. Do you think the Whitecaps should keep this back three going forward? Well, yeah, we will add to that. I guess that you know, Eric Godoy is not not going to be back for a little while, or it doesn't it doesn't look like that. At, at least. least a game or two, it seems. Yeah. So you know, you let's let's he's definitely not going to be here for FC Dallas, and you know, let's let's say for the time being that he's not available for Houston either. I do think you have to consider going back to. I like the back three shape, but I just don't know whether. You know, there's a lot of focus on being able to move, being dynamic both on and off the ball as part of that back three. You need a different profile, and Andy Rose does not look comfortable in that. Part of it is, I think, is not entirely, you know, his own fault. Andy looked really good early in the season when he was getting match in, match out. You know, getting that chemistry felt comfortable. The Whitecaps weren't winning a ton of matches, but actually defensively they looked all right. And I thought Andy was honestly one of the better performers on the team, but he struggled with injury since then. He's been in and out of the lineup. I just thought Andy looked rusty against Colorado. He didn't look comfortable. And 
maybe part of it too is, you know, seeing him alongside Florian Youngverth. It's just, it's the kind of midfielder turned defender you want to see versus, you know, midfielder versus turned defender at home, right? Like it's, it's that comparison where Flo's just so confident. He'll stride forward. He'll make a pass in the midfield and he's communicating constantly. He's got that swagger and confidence. And he looked hesitant. He looked tentative. I think a great example was it was around the 20th minute where, you know, Andy has that giveaway and, and Berrios, you know, rattles it off iron and very easily could have punished the Whitecaps and, and put the Rapids up 1-0 in that moment. And it was just, you know, Andy getting caught in between minds of what he wants to do. And I think when you have that three at the back, you want to push wingbacks forward. You have to be really decisive. You have to be confident in your positioning and spacing and, it doesn't feel like Andy has that right now. So in that sense, I think, you know, if, if you're willing to do it tactically, then you you should go forward with Ranko and, and Flo as your back two, you know, um, of the back four there. And But Florian Ungverth, it sounds like, has been dealing with some niggling issues as well, although less serious. So it's something to track this weekend. It's something SFC Dallas has dealt with a lot. They've had tons of center back issues. They've got goalkeeping issues as well, but... Yeah, it might be a bit of a fluid situation for the Caps heading into this weekend. But Alex, yeah, your thoughts on Andy and maybe what the center back situation could look like this weekend. I think Andy has to point it back to four. I think as the Whitecaps' current roster composition stands, assuming Eric Godoy is out, he has to point it back four. Because no one, the problem is you you got you got an outside center back in a four in Youngworth. That guy can play on the outside of a back three. Ranko Veselinovic can't play in the outside of a back three. He's more of a guy that likes to play. If there is a back three, he plays in the middle. Problem is, Andy Rose can't play in the outside. Those, get, those of guys, they're either. they're not good in space, right? Especially wide acres of space down the wings that they are not comfortable. There's a reason why Andy Rose and Ranko Veselinovic have actually been a really good pair together this year in a back four when there's you know less space. And for me, the one thing with Andy Rose, you, you know what you're going to get with him. You're going to get good positioning. You're going to get good leadership. You're going to get you know, a lot of those things, but obviously other than his physical tools, which he has no control over, he unfortunately just playing out the back sometimes can be a bit of an issue for him. He just, for whatever reason, he'll get the ball, look up, panic, play a long ball. And just the white caps aren't suited to that. Uh, even when Lucas Cavalini and Brian White are on the field, they look at their best when they're playing on the ground and getting Javane Brown and, you know, whoever is healthy when Christian Gutierrez is finally healthy, whoever's playing at wing back, they like getting their wing backs going. They like getting Janio Bacal, Michael Baldissimo on the ball in deep and then just unleashing themselves in transition. I think Andy Rose struggles at that, especially in a back three where the center backs, they are the reason. Like, you know, when you're playing out the back in a back three, it's the center backs. Whereas in a back four, the full backs can maybe drop back, take a bit of responsibility one of the CDMs can drop in between the center backs and also play a role. Whereas in a back three, the onus is on the center back. So I just think as it stands, if Eric Godoy and Florian Youngworth aren't on the pitch at the same time, you can't play a back three. If Florian Youngworth, or, or sorry, if, if Ranko Veselinovic or Andy Rose, it doesn't matter. One of them can play in the center CB. Obviously with how good Ranko Veselinovic has been this year, your best back three right now is Veselinovic, Jungwirth, and Godoy. But say Veselinovic wasn't there, I could handle a back three of Rose, Jungwirth, and Godoy, but with Rose in the middle. But I just think personnel-wise, as it showed, it just limits yourself for no reason. Whereas I feel like you with the back four, you get the same defensive qualities because 
the Whitecaps have, again, all year long, they've continued to defend well, especially as of late. But uh, just the back three, you lose that playing possession, which is so key to, to how they attack and how they get chances for some of their deadly attackers. Yeah, it gives me a lot to think about, and I, I just want to I want to pitch this on the fly here, and and maybe you'll get your your commentary on it. What do we think about you know if Flo is healthy, and if you decide for whatever reason that you want to go to the aforementioned back four with Andy and Ranko, do you consider playing Flo as a CDM? That's something he did this season, even in San Jose. You know, if you're feeling a little thin in the midfield, we've seen Yanio Bacal can definitely play at the eight. Uh, is that something you consider? And, you know, Flo could very easily, I think, play that Michael Baldissimo role in build-up. You know, he's not going to ping balls quite the same way that Baldi does, but where he can drop in to that deep-lying position and kind of be part of the the distribution chain. I'm, I'm interested for your thoughts, you know, if we're... If we're going inside the Sartini head and you know going all galaxy brain and trying to come up with creative solutions to to keep someone like Flo on the pitch, um, what what do you think of that? I'm thinking if I'm doing a back four, I'm running Florian Jungerth yeah. and Ranko Veselinovic. But say I'm trying to, get... to find a way to get Andy Rose in the lineup and still have it like work and make sense. So we're thinking outside the box. Well, I'm thinking here you either play Florian Jungerth as the left back. Okay. Just because there's no Christian Gutierrez and you can kind of shift to a back three, depending on what the game is like. If not, he plays more as a left back and, you know, you leave a guy on the left wing, like a Christian, you know, Dahomey or even a Russell Tybert there. I say it, you know, and then have it where you're able to bend between a three at the back and a four at the back. If not, I, I say you could put him in the midfield if Christian Gutierrez is healthy and then kind of, you know, play him as a six, Daniel Bikel as an eight, Michael Baldismo in the middle. The only problem with that is that you lose one of the front three just because at, at this point you want Caicedo and Dahomey on the field at once, but then how do you fit them and Cavallini and White? And then you're forgetting the gold piece here or the gold piece, Ryan yeah. Gold, you know? So for, for me, I think as it stands, if you're going to get Youngverth, Ranko and Rose on the field all at once, it's in a back four with Youngverth at left back because he can play there. He's shown that. Uh, or you you move Javane Brown to left back. You play Youngberth at right back. Either way, him at full back, and then you 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 keep the midfield just because you need Ryan Gold on the pitch. That's obviously the the non-starter. But also you have pretty you need Dahomey and Kaiseido at this point. You can't look at how you know Kaiseido has been playing as of late and, and put him back on the bench. You can't. And then what does that leave you? You have to decide between Brian White and Lucas Cavallini, et cetera, et cetera. And we'll we'll talk about that discussion in a second year. So. For me, I think Youngworth would have to play fullback for them to all end up on the field at once. Yeah, I think you you bring up a good point there, which is, you know, roster spots are certainly an attack or quickly becoming at a premium, right? And you don't want to, I, I don't want to say, you know, waste both a spot on, on Flo and Andy Rose if you don't have to, but that certainly kind of, you know, walks you down a road where you have more limited options there. So it's going to be interesting how they how they handle this whole you know, defensive depth issue. It's just, it's so ironic. Like Derek Cornelius surely could be used right about Well, I was going to say, it's just such a, so ironic, you know, coming into the year you talked about, man, they have all these fullbacks. What are they going to do with the ball? All now these center backs. Now too. there's no fullback depth, no center back depth. The two positions of strength going into the year. It just, it feels like, 
you know, they're completely devoid of it at this point. And so, you know, that those are one of those, it's just one of those things you cannot predict going into a season. You never know how it's going to turn out all the twists well, especially and especially center backs because some yeah. teams they play the same center backs for 34 games out of 34 and you never need a backup yeah. and then the white caps are going through center backs like you change shirts like it's crazy i mean i think you had to know with eric godoy that he yeah. wasn't gonna last a full season and i think it is at the point where this is just who eric godoy is at this point i don't you're not going to get you know, 34 game seasons from him, which is, which is tough because when he's healthy, he's, so good. he's such a good center back. It's just, it's so fleeting. And yeah, my, my heart bleeds for him. Cause I just, I want him to Maybe be on the pitch. Maybe 2022 he can find yeah. some consistency. I, I'm, but at this I'm, point, I'm sorry. I, I'm not holding out hope. Uh, maybe, maybe yeah. he visits the, visits the doctors that were, you know, the Phoenix Suns doctors that saved some careers back in the 2000s, Grant Hill, one of them, but maybe if it's not, tough yeah, no, because we talk every season, we talk about a new training regimen, how his body's feeling better than ever. And then a game and he's gone. <sighs> it, yeah. Some, some guys, unfortunately just have, you know, these, these muscular ligament issues that, that just don't go away. And it feels like Eric for, for whatever reason is one of those guys, which is, which is tough, but they you know, I have full faith in Vanny Sartini to find creative solutions to difficult problems because he's he's done that so far. There wasn't there wasn't as much of that against Colorado, but uh, he did find a way to kind of kickstart them and you know get them out of that really slow start. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do lineup wise on the weekend. And you know, yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about attacking options and maybe you know within that we talk about the continued really terrific play of Daber Caicedo, who's just coming into his own here in a white cap shirt. Uh, if, if you had to, to, someone stuck a gun to your head right now and said, pick a, an MVP not named Ryan Gold for the last five to 10 games, I think it'd have to be Daber Caicedo, wouldn't it? He's been that good for, for the white caps. Obviously, again, don't, don't forget Dahomey, all his goals, all his assists, he's still plugging away. But, you know, as we mentioned, he's been good all year you know he since game one eight goals four assists could have been more assists you know christian dahomey has been carrying the white caps but diber caicedo it's been night and day since what we've seen from him in the first 10 15 games to now and we kind of talked about at the beginning of the year how okay it might take some adjustment to be cautious i think that, that adjustment's over we're starting to see what he can do consistently for me, it's just his confidence. He's taking on guys one-on-one. He's getting shots off. He's making assists. He's just making things happen right now. And it's it's so useful for the Whitecaps because it feels like they're a threat in transition. Now you got in an ideal world when you have a front four of Dahomey, Caicedo, Galden, one of Cavalini or White, it just feels like the Whitecaps are so much more dangerous because you got the two Colombian wingers in transition. You got Gald pulling the strings and Gald isn't no slouch in transition either. He can run and he can get the ball and, and run with it. Then you got guys like White and Cavallini who like to finish more in transition and off low crosses. It feels like he's starting to have a recipe. And I think Caicedo's emergences might be the biggest reason for why the Whitecaps look more like a cohesive offensive unit as of late. So for me, his emergence has been huge, but it creates such lineup questions because it's his best form has come at a time where there's so many options and he's had to play on the bench and it hasn't bothered him. He's played as a starter. He's played as a sub, but you look, you're just like, why would you bench him at this point? If anything, you're going to bench one of Brian White and Lucas Cavallini at this point, just because Caicedo has been that good. And 
while it creates questions for the lineup that, that, that aren't fun to answer, that's a good thing. You wanted that out of a guy like Caicedo. And the fact that he's doing it already is huge because in our eyes, we were expecting this maybe year two, year three, and he's already starting to, to show that he's a lot. He's a, he's a very complete player. And we have to remember, he's still only 20, 21. He's, he's making a, a move to MLS for the first time, and he's already adjusted as he has. Like You, you have to be liking what you're seeing from Caicedo right now. Yeah, going all the way back to the preseason, I think what was really nice is that, yes, the, the visa process took forever, but he did have a pretty a clean, efficient preseason. He was able to get to camp early on and have someone like Christian Dahomey help him through the, the process, the transition, mentor him along the way. And so I think that's a, that's a big part of why this MLS adjustment process has been, you know, while not immediate it's been relatively smooth and he's just grown and grown and grown you saw the signs even the first couple matches he played where he had the right ideas he was looking to do the right things but the the final product didn't come off and and now all of a sudden you're seeing a very instinctive guy that you know he senses blood in the water and he attacks he knows how to get into those spaces he knows how to create problems for the opposition and uh I love that about him. You, you you love the work rate defensively too for someone who's, you know, slight in stature and probably not much more than 130 pounds. He's actually very physical on the ball and, and willing to go up against bigger players. And yeah, can't say enough about him really. I think Dahomey had to be the, you know, if you're, you're splitting the season up into two halves as of right now, Dahomey is your first half MVP. Caicedo is your second half MVP. I mean, or, or at the very least, you know, with Ryan Gauld right there. I think it's, you know, Gauld's sample size has been smaller. So I think Dahomey over the course of kind of the second half up until now has been just match in, match out, really consistent, which is, you know, for a guy that age, not something that's terribly common. So huge props to him. It, it's, it is a lineup question mark because you feel like a guy like Caicedo's best or it's the easiest to slot him in in a 4-3-3 where it's just right you're you're on the wing go do it right but the the Whitecaps haven't been playing a lot of as many of those shapes recently and it's kind of left them on the outside looking in so I think there's a lot of lineup questions going into this weekend especially with these next three matches coming up where you're going to be looking like you're the team that's going to dictate. You're going to hold possession. You're going to, you know, you're going to try to take control of the match. And that wasn't necessarily the case in Colorado. And I think we might see, you know, some more, some more tactical wrinkles from Vanny Sartini. So I'm, I'm excited for that. Do I know exactly what it's going to look like? No, definitely not. Yeah, and I mean, shout out again to Dahomey once again. Our, the the hero of all the wingers. Obviously, I, I think it's no coincidence that Caicedo has turned into a consistent winger like him considering they're good friends and they obviously learn so all i'm saying is christian dahomey if you could talk to cameron habibula and continue to work with him at training and, and, and give him some of those skills that would go a long way but yeah that's interesting now the lineup i think me personally if i had to select a with the guys available for a game tomorrow i think i'd run crepo a back four of of Brown, Rose, Ranko, Youngverth, like I said earlier, I think a midfield two of Bikel Baldissimo and a front four of Caicedo, uh, Dahomey, Gold, and White. And I think you bring Cavallini, Owusu, uh, you know, et cetera, off the, the bench as super subs. But what does Sartini do? Can you be- realistically get away with benching a guy like Cavallini another game? Probably not. Can you 
you know, might might a Wusu slot, and he's been good. Is Russell Tybert gonna gonna stay? And he certainly he'll find a way. So it's gonna be interesting <laughs> to see what the the lineup looks like for this Dallas game. Oh goodness. Um, <laughs> I, I guess yeah. The other thing we could talk about is is the striker battle, the striker debate, right? Because I mean, Brian White's making a really good case for why you only need a an average MLS plug and place plug and play striker, right? I mean. You know, I, I looking around. We're going to talk about Ricardo Pepe in a bit here, but I was looking around the league earlier today at strikers, and you know, Brian White favors pretty. You know, looks pretty comparable to to a lot of you know quality names in MLS. Like he's he's performing at his xG rate. He's popping up in the right spots. He's doing the right things. You know, he doesn't convert every opportunity, but he's he's finding a way to score goals about as consistently as those opportunities are being provided to him. And so I think it's going to be interesting how they, they handle the rest of the year. Cause as you said, you know, Cavallini carries a $6 million ego and you have to get him in matches, right? Like it, he's, he's not a guy you can just leave out of the squad. Well, he like has it, national team ambitions too. He yeah. needs to be staying fit because he's an important part of Canada's national team. So it, it's not as simple as what, what makes the most sense for our team asset management wise in the long term. There's, there's more at stake. There's more at play. Also, you're a, you know, you're a caretaker manager, an interim manager. Like you don't want to, you know, ruffle too many feathers. You certainly don't want to devalue players within your own squad. So there's, there's more than just deciding the best eleven for the weekend going on here. And uh, you know, one possibility is that they they start both White and Cavallini up front together. That does that limits. That means that one of those Colombian wingers is probably not in the fold, which is which is this would be disappointing to see. But uh, and, and I'm not confident in. In terms of you know neither of those guys are flea afoot. They don't they don't move off the ball terrifically. None really strikes me as a guy I'd want playing underneath the other. Exactly. So I it just to me the one word that comes to mind immediately when I think of White and Cav alongside each other is stagnant. They'll just kind of <laughs> stand there up front and look for the ball and hold up and not really do a lot off the ball. Not provide a lot of creation i mean i guess the the hope there basically is you have two hold up options for ryan gold he passes it to one of them he makes a run and they give it back to him that that kind of seems like best case scenario in a in a front two striker partnership but you know vanny sartini might have something different in his bag of tricks you know is it cava on the wing is it brian white on the wing I don't know. That's that's something we might see at some point. If if you want to reward White for his quality play, but you also are essentially too scared to bench Cava for another match. Well, I'm just saying there's two Canadian strikers that serve for a, uh, <laughs> as a benchmark for what Cavallini could become or at least be tried out in. Kyle Laren and Taryn Campbell, two big burly strikers who have made a pretty good living for themselves out on the wing. That also could be something for Vanny Sartidi to, to consider. But uh, returning to Brian White, I mean, first of all, I always have to preface any Brian White talk saying, should David Egbo or Theo Bear be in these, this role, getting these minutes and getting Ryan Gold chances? Absolutely. It just makes sense on every you know possible level. And if you don't know why, I'm sure we can have a good discussion about 
you know, the, the implications of soccernomics and, and strikers and all that. But on for White, he, this, he's growing on me for whatever reason. This guy, he just he gets into good areas. He's smart. He holds up the ball. He's no nonsense. And you can you can almost admire that in a striker. This guy, he scored a bar down goal on Saturday or Sunday. He didn't celebrate. Like what what striker in the world? Some strikers I, score two I, foot tap-ins and their shirts I, I are. I think off. I think he was a little surprised, to be honest. Yeah, he, yes, he was probably surprised. But this guy doesn't celebrate his goals. You almost admire the fact that he's just he's just a no nonsense guy here for vibes. Like again, there's strikers in the world. I won't name any names. They score a two-foot header and their shirts are off and they're in the crowd and you know, it's hero. Brian White scored a bar down beauty and he was just no hands up, just business as usual. And there's something about that that I admire. And to quote Matt Doyle, who, you know, he doesn't always chime in with the white on the white caps as of at times, but he did drop that one quote. I think I want to say after the Austin game or maybe RSL a while back. There's a lot of teams in MLS. And honestly, you could include the white caps in this list that have paid a lot more for players that don't do what Brian White does. And you know, you can almost, you know, you just something about him for what he's paid, what they, 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 they paid for him. He does a job and something about Brian White. If, if I had, I said this on, on Sunday, right now, based on what we've seen from both players, if you're a Whitecaps manager and you have a must win game tomorrow and you have to start only one up front, like you almost have to go with Brian White right now. He's been better. He fits better. And it's really just shown how much things have, have changed, but I'll end this on, on, on another note, because saying all this love for Brian White, I still have hope for what Lucas Cavallini can bring. I want to see him start and get service from Ryan Gold, because I think that will do him a world of good. And also, I think Cavallini and what, and what he's shown from even myself personally tracking him back to his days of Pueblo when I used to watch him there, he's a streaky scorer, and he needs a goal right now. He hasn't scored in almost three months for club or country. I think he's the kind of guy... If he has gold behind him, he starts scoring. He'll get in a good form. All will be forgotten. Things will be good. So I'll say this for Cavalini. While the white love fest is certainly ongoing, and again, I, I am certainly confident in Brian, what Brian White can do right now, Lucas Cavalini getting around a form could end up being a very you know nice stroke of something in these last 10 games. So I'm still harboring hope for that, even though I, I'm not necessarily siding on this debate if, if I had to go, go to war for either of them right now. Yeah, I, I don't know why this is something that came to mind, but just the way you're describing Cava's goal scoring, you know, for, for anyone who's an NBA fan, Lucas Cavallini's like J.R. Smith. Like oh, when yeah. when when he sees he's you know when he, when he sees the ball hit the net, you know, and he and he sees that two or three times, all of a sudden it's like every time he pulls up, every time he takes a shot on goal it's going in the back of the net. But when he's not in that groove, he doesn't have the rhythm, he doesn't have the confidence, there's not a lot of bottom line there. And it just that's where Cav is at right now. It hasn't scored since the last time the White Caps played FC Dallas. And so they're they're just gonna have to find a way to, to get him a cheap one and then work on it from there. Cause I do think, you know, Cava could easily bag another five goals the back end of the season. Like no problem. But well, he begged five and seven or something at the end of last year, and that yeah. was when Freddie Montero came in. So, so you, you just got to get there has to be that little, you know, that little push to get things rolling. Maybe and, Luke Summers, if you're out here somehow listening when you're doing your set piece routines, maybe yeah. have something that involves Cavalini getting on the end of a tap in. <laughs> yeah, a little a little free header off a screen in the box. Uh, that that's the kind of thing that could get it going. So. Uh, 
Yeah, we'll just we'll just have to see on the weekend. It's it's something we continue to track here. Uh, I think we had a good sort of preemptive discussion about Cava in the last show, and now we're we're continuing to dive into it because Brian White's just making it more and more interesting by the week. But I, I think that's enough about you know the Whitecaps let's look lineup. Ahead to Dallas. Let's look ahead to Dallas and and let's look back at Dallas not that far ago um, and the firing of a head coach. Uh, bye bye, Luchi Gonzalez. And just an organization that's in a bit of disarray. I, I don't really know if they they have an identity. They're this, you know, they're supposed to be this shining example of player development. But in terms of first team performance on the pitch, they've always been a little bit confused. And I, I think this firing just an example of that, you know, transferring away a lot of your best players and then essentially dismissing a head coach for poor first team performance after not really providing adequate replacements for those players. Dallas, what an enigma. Cause obviously their Academy, like you just look at some of the names, obviously I'd, I'd have to get a more comprehensive list, but just off the top of the head, you think of a guy like Weston McKinney, you think, of, you know, some of the guys they currently have your Justin Chase, your, your, your Ricardo Pepe's, your Jesus Ferreras. You look at some of the guys that have been transferred away recently, like your Brian Reynolds, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's, there's a lot more that are slipping through my head because there's quite a, a lengthy list of them. There's talent. There's lots of talent. But then you have to be realistic if you're Dallas. You're a selling team. and You know, you're, you're a team that, that builds these players up and then sells them. You sell your best players. And it's hard. It's, it's hard, especially because when you have a youngster, a 19 year old youngster playing like a $6 million player in his prime and you sell him, it's not easy to replace that. Cause either you plug in a kid who's green and we'll get there one day knowing Dallas's Academy, you, you have confidence when they plug in a player, but you can't expect a guy to come in at 17, 16 and be that guy right away. Because for every Ricardo Pepe, there is players who will plug away and plug away and not get to that level. That's just the reality. And if you're not willing to spend on these big five, six million dollar players, you're going to be caught in this kind of this loop where you have a really good season. You sell on your players and you're kind of stuck in the mud for a year or two while you you rebuild. And it's just really, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate for Dallas to see them fire the Luchi Gonzalez in the middle of one of those periods where you, they're recovering from selling a lot of good players. So for me, it just seems like their, their, their ownership doesn't hasn't necessarily how do I say embraced who they are as a club and embrace, okay, you're a selling team act like a selling team or, Hey, you know what? You're a team that sells, but also you can be a buying team too. You can take the fact that you've been given a lot of money for young players and buy players. You can't operate by not spending money, but also make decisions such as firing head coaches every two years. You know, you can't, you can't, they operate in this gray zone. Let's just say as, as an MLS team, they're not, you know, we've given a lot of love on the past in the past, sorry, to teams like Colorado or Real Salt Lake or even a Houston Dynamo who have embraced who they are as a franchise for better or for worse. Whereas Dallas, they kind of, you know, they seem reality- to de- they did not they deny their own identity. And I think that that's that's like the worst the worst fault you can have, right? I mean, you can have a flawed identity and embrace it, and, and I think that it's even if, even if it's no flawed, idea. you're willing to accept it, right? But to to kind of lie to yourself and pretend that you're something you're not, or or you know, kind of get in your own way is is another matter entirely. Well, just look at Colorado; they have a DP on their roster, a singular DP. 
and he's on the bench most games recently because he's been in injuries and they're doing fine because they're embraced that they're the plucky guys they, they they're a bunch of mls players and this and that that's just an example amongst many whereas Dallas, they want to be a big club. They have the big players, but in, you know that's it. All all of that to say, they're but in no man's land. Right, Colorado now. Rapids. Sure, they only have one designated player, but they made the one million in gam plus incentives deal to bring in Mark Anthony K. You can you can find other ways to acquire. I mean, you even look at you know Montreal. They're able to acquire Mihailovic in a in a high level inter MLS Come on, Miller. I, I think that what FC Dallas would need is more of those either intra MLS deals or, you know, find value in the one and two million dollar transfer range. They they don't seem to really do enough of those kind of value plays from elsewhere. It's either kind of they rely on their academy guys or they go on the cheap free transfers from abroad, and it's just it's not enough to fill the. Co- a competitive squad year in year out or you get guys that have some qualities but are super patchy and inconsistent and it just it hasn't been enough to really you know get get them over the line in terms of you know if they held on to more of these these top prospects and, and academy players then you know you'd have a, a solid team and it's just it's not good enough anymore in MLS to ship all these guys out and I think that's something that was really jarring to me was uh, you look at Gonzalez's record as a as a head coach in MLS twenty eight twenty nine and twenty five like that's that's pretty respectable that's pretty solid for a team that has you know had a lot of roster turnover and it isn't the perfect example of an MLS franchise and uh, you know I know Mark Dos Santos felt hard done by for you know getting fired after his unbeaten streak in MLS but uh, man if you're if you're Gonzalez sitting there and you're kind of having a Having a measuring contest about who was who was slighted or who was wronged, I, th- I think he might have a better case. I like your point about their signings because their academy again phenomenal. You look at some of the players they have to build around. Like you, 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 you just look at the guy. You don't have or, to go out and like you don't have to take the six million you just made an academy player. You don't need to and spend all Brian six Gold. of that. You don't have to do it, but you gotta spend some of it. You can't you can't just put it all in the bank. So you can't have you don't need five Ryan Gall to say or you know S players although that would be nice <laughs> but you just look at your roster right now you got Ricardo Pepe Justin Che Jesus Ferreira Paxton Pomacal I'll use those examples because you know Ryan Hollingshead some of those guys they have but then you look at some of their international signing obviously a guy like that guy's name looks like an alphabet gone wrong but Saz Bulk's shown. What has he done since coming in the MLS? What is a guy <laughs> and that name is wow, Franco Yara. He's you know, he's been really inconsistent, an older striker that they brought in. Guy like Yadar Obrian, he's obviously been in good form lately, but he's just such an inconsistent player. You know, looking on the list, Facundo Quignon. Who is this guy? Why do I remember him signing like for Dallas like two years ago? And I haven't heard of anything from him since. And you just, you can really tell that the problem is they have guys like Ricardo Pepe who are doing great things, but they don't surround these guys with the right talent. You have to just, you know, either if you're Dallas, you take money and buy players. You go buy your Ryan Golds, your, you know, you kind of go for a, we'll use the Whitecaps model because we're, we're, we're familiar with it. You go buy your Dahomey's, your Caicedo's, your Kyle Alexandre's, you spend some money. Or you go for a Colorado or a Montreal and you trade with an MLS to at least get these players' qualities because, uh, you know, versus a guy like Qui-Gon or whatever this guy is, Quignon, 
would a guy like Mihailovic not be a better fit for a team like Dallas right now? He absolutely would be, but they, they kind of refuse to trade within MLS, but they also don't really go for quality overseas. It leaves them in such a, a strange position. And that leaves you with FC Dallas for, for better or for worse. And it, it really is unfortunate because you look at their roster, they have so much potential and it feels like they're just wasting it away with some of their decisions. Yeah. I mean, I'm just looking back at, uh, you know, the transfer mark kind of, breakdown of their additions over the past couple of years and it's like you know very few transactions that actually included a substantial transfer fee right and and when i say substantial i mean you know something more than more than a million dollars and i think it's you're just you're not going to provide consistent contributors to complement your academy stars when that's your policy and or you go after guys in mls i'll add that in as a caveat yeah. you go after your mark anthony k's your mihailovich's but you have it has to be you know top tier guys or what you have to do is not let and i'll, and I'll kind of go to the list here from from what i wrote earlier today you can't let your fafa picos you can't let your michael barrios's you can't let your maxi arudis go you have to if you have quality MLS vet contributors, you have to hold on to them then, or you have to be willing to make those value play transfers in the one, two and a half million dollar range from elsewhere. One of those two things has to happen. You can't pro- trade Kellen Acosta either. That's a that thing. If you're looking at <laughs> yeah. other players, like the fact they got rid of Kellen Acosta looking back is would a guy like that not, you know, obviously you had the threat of losing him to Europe. Would that a guy like that not look really good in your team right about now? Well, like, it's it's everything about FC Dallas is still sort of stuck in an MLS 1.0 or 2.0 model, and I, I just don't feel like they've adjusted to the quality of the quality of the league, the the types of players that are being retained at this point. It just it feels a step behind, and I think that you know Gonzalez has essentially been been punished for failures happening above him, and and that's tough to see because I, I like a lot of how can you not like what FC Dallas is able to bring into the league with its young players it's super exciting well, they throw out 16 17 year olds for big games like, it's think terrific last no year, one like, loves that as much as you and i like that's this is what we want to see when they played portland timbers in the first round of playoffs and they played i think he was 16 at the time ricardo pepe scored a brace yeah. and they won like how that's what we that's what we live for but that's what we live for in North American soccer. It's amazing. Like, there's not enough of that. Like, yeah. you think you think Mark or Mark DeSantos, well, well, anyone? Do you think any coach of the Whitecaps is going to go to a game and throw in a Cameron Happy Bull in a playoff game, even if he was ready? No. So there's just something about that. But well, enough about dwelling on Dallas FC Dallas, since you know the Whitecaps, they can sit there and lament about the organizational failures of FC Dallas. But the reality is, you have to play. FC Dallas for 90 minutes and those organizational failures won't be reflected on the field in those 90 minutes. So maybe let's talk about some of the good of FC Dallas. And let's start with one name, Ricardo Pepe. We've mentioned him a bit, but Sam, what I'll throw it out to you to start. What do you make of a guy like Ricardo Pepe? It's always hard to judge a 17 year old, 18 year olds, you know, striker coming in hot as he has scoring goals i think he's he leads mls in terms of goals from an american-born player this year an american player obviously he had that that debut for the u.s national team where he scored he scored a goal and got two assists at san pedro sula at, at, at his age 
he's obviously got a bright, 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 bright future ahead of him. But Sam, what do you make of, of a guy like Ricardo Pepe and what do the white caps have to watch out for with him? Well, what's been super impressive is he has, he he's clearly since stepping into the league had a maturity beyond his years and he, and he's got an instinct that seems to take him a long ways where, you know, maybe, maybe the opportunity is not perfect or maybe, you know, it's not always, it doesn't look like a high quality chance, but he, but he finds a way to make it a high quality chance. And I think that's, you know, that's something that's a lot easier to have than to try to develop. And then, you know, he's also efficient. He's been able to convert and actually overall FC Dallas has done um, has been very efficient. They've, you know, they've outperformed their XG so far this year. And, and Pepe's also part of that crowd. I think he's got 12 goals and is only on about 7.3 XG. So, uh, you know, some of that is maybe the hot hand and maybe there'll be a, a bit of regression where he comes back down to earth. But this is also a guy who's, you know, it feels like, I feel like a U.S. men's national team commentator. He's only 18, but he, but he is only 18. And he's going to, He's he doesn't gonna, move like an 18-year-old. No, he's he, going to improve. He doesn't make runs in the box like an 18-year-old. He's going to improve leaps and bounds. Like I think something, for example, like playmaking, where right now he doesn't have a, you know, he, he's not an established playmaker, hold-up guy at, at the striker position, but that's going to get miles better the more he plays at the professional level. And uh, it, yeah, it's something dangerous for the Whitecaps to watch out for, especially if you had someone like Andy Rose back there. It could, could cause a lot of problems. But I think Florian Youngvirth, if, if he's fit and healthy and the, and the physical presence of a of Ranko Vasilinovic is good as well. Ranko, Ranko actually lives for 1v1s and kind of duels. And, and that that's one of his real strengths. So, you know, I, I like his chances actually if he's up against Pepe. But uh a crafty player, uh, a player wise beyond his years, and he's and he's got that ability to smash it home and, or, or you know open his hips up and, and slot at bottom corner too. So uh, pretty complete package, and uh, yeah, Dallas is Dallas is going to be a bit chaotic because at the back they've got a lot of injuries. It sounds like they might be down to third string third keeper. Or yeah, like a- absolute mess at that end of the pitch. Uh, They've conceded, I want to say, and you know, you can someone can fact check me if I'm wrong here, but I think in the last eight matches they've conceded 18 goals. So uh, they also it, have conceded the most goals in the West. I can't. This is this that is much. correct. 43, the, I believe, this 43, season. 43, and they're yeah. tied for third in MLS for most goals conceded. Yeah, but but the 18 in the last eight matches gives you a, a real indication of you know things have been going downhill quickly in that regard. So, uh, Whitecaps, you know, if you're Ryan Gold, if you're Lucas Cavallini or Brian White, you have to be uh, licking your chops a little bit. But then. The offensive end, they've they've had some good moments. Even a guy like Jara that you mentioned, you know, he hasn't been consistent. O'Brien Ditto hasn't been consistent, but they have bagged goals at times. So that's the positive. If you're if you're cheering for FC Dallas in this one, there's there might be goals in it. There's streaky scores that that do find a way to fill the net at times. It's just can they keep the ball out of their own net? Uh, can they be relied on to do it match in match out? That's been the big question. 18 goals in the last eight games, fact-checked. Yeah. Yikes. Yours Yikes. truly. Not great. The Whitecaps, I'm pretty sure them, they've got conceded 18 goals in the last, like, 15 or something. So don't quote me on that. I'm just throwing out a random number there. But uh, Ricardo Pepe, for me, I just – it's his maturity as a striker. Strikers, 
for better or for worse are lazy they when they come up they, <laughs> they they just love to make lazy runs and score they've always scored goals so they think they're the guy you know as, as a former striker myself i can allow myself to say things like that but what's nice about a guy like ricardo pepe he's shown such maturity for his age like you look at how he holds up the ball there's strikers who are 27 28 who still don't have that part of their game figured out the, the way he zigzags as runs almost in a I, I dare I say like a, almost a, a bit of a hint of Wando, I'd like to say, with how he kind of times his runs and gets on the, the edge of balls. You like there's, the there's maturity. Some po- there's some poacher tendencies there for sure. That, and that for me is what is most impressive because, yes, strikers have heaters, but he's not on this Daryl DK-esque. We talked about this pre-show. He's not on this Daryl DK-esque heater where he got a lot of breakaways he shot the ball very hard with not much accuracy the xg charts were obliterating him i think he was overperforming his xg by like some obscene amounts i think dk he, was he, basically he was basically doubling his his <laughs> xg or something like that he was on a heater of of heaters like honestly might be one of the most fascinating heaters of history and first of all, like Orlando, what the heck were you doing not selling him for twenty plus million? I will, I will just throw that in. If you're if you're interested in the whole DK saga, I'm pretty sure American Soccer Analysis, something they did over the last six months, they kind of broke down DK's performances over the last couple of years, and it, it's worth a read if you can find it. Oh yeah, and it, it's a fascinating story. That's why we brought him up. But we're not seeing that DKS. We'll say DKS just because he's a prime example where it's a striker going on a heater. Strikers have heaters, and then you know he slows down. The thing was with Pepe, even if he does slow down, because he is due to slow down a bit. That's normal. He makes such intelligent runs that you can only imagine if Dallas continues to get him service, good things will happen for the kid. So I just looking at what you know has come for him. Obviously, there's some rumors coming out yesterday that a some big European clubs might make a move for him within the next two weeks to, to kind of get him onto a pre-contract before, you know, signing him later in the, you know, in the winter transfer window, obviously the sky is the limit for, for Ricardo Pepe and the white caps have to be careful because a young striker in form, that's the last thing you want to deal with. If you're a white cap center backs core where you kind of, you know, you kind of got lucky that Colorado wasn't really, you know, doing a whole lot up front with, with, with what they had going on because the Whitecaps were a bit sloppy compared to past games. I think they gave up 1.9 XG, which was their highest in, in a while. So, uh, you know, against the Dallas team, if it's Ricardo Pepe getting most of that an XG similar to that, he might punish you. But uh, moving otherwise, just it, it's going to be interesting. The other side, like you mentioned, the defense. The defense isn't good. Uh Obviously, right now, usual starter Jimmy Maurer is out with a thigh strain. Uh, according to, to Jan Arnold, who covers Dallas, it looks like their their backup goalie is also having visa issues because uh, obviously this is their first trip to Canada. They <laughs> clearly they forgot to, to to get a Canadian visa. He might he won't be able to play. They're on their third string goalkeeper, uh, who's thirty. I, I I'm I'm blanking on his name. I won't say his name until I have the exact name uh, in, in front of me. But basically, yeah, Kyle Zobeck. Uh, he's a he's a 31 year old uh, goalkeeper. He's played four times in MLS this year, so he's not a or in 2020. Sorry, so he's not a stranger. But let's say it's not Jimmy Maurer, who has been one of the the better goalkeepers in MLS in in recent years. So it's gonna. I feel like this could end up being one of those games where it could be kind of a punching match where teams trade chances and. I don't know if that benefits the Whitecaps right now, like since most of their games lately have been a bit more cagey, a bit tighter, but it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. 
Yeah, I, I'm very, I'm very excited to see a, a, a potentially wide open affair again, and one that's maybe a little bit higher scoring. And I, I do think I have faith in the Whitecaps' ability to. If one of these two defenses is can play bend but don't break style, I have more faith in the Whitecaps' ability to do that. Because I think even against Colorado, yes, the XG was a little bit higher. There were a ton of shots. It was, what, something like 20 or 23? Or it was a really high volume of shots they conceded, but the amount that actually ended up on target was quite low. The amount that were genuinely super dangerous was down to just a couple, really. So if the Whitecaps can kind of manage to do something similar against Dallas and limit the quality of those chances, I think against you know a third-string keeper and against a, a rotated back line, the Whitecaps will be able to create some really high-quality chances of their own. So I, I do like the Caps' you know, prospects in this one. I, I think they, they're able to capture all three points at home. I think they're able to get this three-game stretch off to a really good start. And then, honestly, I feel like I feel like Houston especially is a little bit more of a trap game because Houston can really shut things down, make it low event, make it boring. And that's the kind of match I'm more fearful with the Whitecaps. I think... You know, I'm feeling more vibes from from RSL where uh, they're able to open it up and you know punish RSL a little bit and and, and take over the match. I don't know if it's going to be that high scoring, but uh, I'm thinking something like a like a two one or a three to two for Vancouver. Yeah, I think for the Whitecaps, it also helps that they're playing at home where they've not only been winning for most part, but they've looked, even in their one loss against Portland, they've looked like a good team at home. And I think that against Dallas, that should give them advantage and an advantage. They've been training at home all week. Obviously, it's been making, obviously, sorry, it's been making a difference uh, for them. So I think that also will will play into to the, the Whitecaps' hands that they're back at BC Place, which they're slowly making into a fortress again, which is coming at the right time for them. Hopefully they can pick up some points and, and, and continue on that road. But uh, otherwise, is there anything else we want to, to touch on on FC Dallas? I don't think so, really. I mean, we touched on sort of the state of the organization. We, we talked about the main man and Ricardo Pepe, you know, goalkeeping and defensive issues and kind of, kind of what we're expecting. It's uh, not surprising to see that we're on the same page there. I guess the one thing I will say about Pepe is you just, you always have to be sort of, I think cautious of the U.S. men's national team hype, right? It's I, phenomenal. I, I think this is something that that's something where DK and Pepe are kind of comparable. You know, you take a young American goal scorer, and it's like all of a sudden the the league wide buzz is just at a completely different level. It's uh, it's insane. Uh, you know, I, I mean, we do that to some extent, I guess, with Canadian national teamers, but it just feels like anything U.S. men's national team gets gets blown out of proportion. But Pepe seems to be so calm and so wise beyond his years, so I, I don't really worry about that getting to him, but it's uh, it's something certainly kind of from the media side of things that yeah, you have to take with a grain of salt. Yeah, no, it's certainly... It's, it's one of those things. The U.S. hype train is phenomenal. One one player will have one good half, and then it's just the rails. He's the future. Know. But the, again, I, I, the, poor Orlando. They're going to catch a lot of strays today, but that just goes back. But the fact that they didn't capitalize on the hype train with Daryl DK continues to be just laughable to me. But that's the U.S. Uh, hype train for, for, 
for you. I mean, the thing is, I'm laughing because as as I'm, I'm scrolling Twitter here while we're recording, this is sort of related, but sort of unrelated. One soccer, obviously, shout out to the man. I won't spoil much about it since we're about to talk about him. Belu Tabla, as you may or may not have heard, he had himself a game against Halifax Wanderers. He had himself a half. And one soccer just put out a thing saying, can Belu Tabla work his way back into the Canada men's national team squad for October? And it's just like, my goodness. Like the first comment subs it up. He played one redacted half against a CPL side. Relax. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, Balu, Balu had a difficult time breaking into the under-23 squad. So I, I think we can, we, we, we can, you know, pump the brakes there. Although, hey, you know, this is a guy who's obviously does have, you know, tons of potential. But yeah, I think that might be putting the card a little bit Basically, before Basically, <laughs> it's, it's, it's unrelated, but I'm just saying. Imagine that for the U.S., but like when the player has a good half and, you know, plays a good ball, you'll see, oh, this this guy is ready for the national team. Call him up, call him up. It's, it's you know, there's a hype train there. And the differences between the Canadian hype train, as I mentioned there, that, that one individual used quite strong words to shut down that suggestion. In the U.S., they'd all be hopping on board, and all of a sudden, it's a, it's it circles. Next thing you know, you have this whole uh, Daryl DK to Manchester United rumors, and yada yada yada. And it's it's a real factor. It's a real thing. And honestly, I'm jealous of some of those U.S. teams that they have that that sort of hype, where a player like Ricardo Pepe could net. I mean, I think the rumors were saying higher than an Alfonso Davies esque fee. And I mean, as good as Ricardo Pepe is, Alfonso Davies, how good he was for the Whitecaps, like wow. Like it makes makes Alfonso Davies seem like more and more of a steal. So all that to say, the hype train, it is it is something else. But uh, on that note, let's let's move to the Canadian Championship. But before we do, speaking of things that are maybe underhyped, let's get a quick word from our partners over at Macy Sports. Hello, Alex here from the Third Sub. Just sharing a quick word from our friends and partners over at Macy Sports, who continue. To, to do great things for local and Canadian soccer. Obviously, as many of you might know, the soccer season is starting up, or it started up, and if you are needing any sorts of new soccer gear, but also any sort of rugby, field hockey, any sport that you might play, Macy Sports is the place to go. They've got all sorts of match day equipment, and if you're not someone who necessarily plays, but you wanna get a kit for one of your favorite European teams, maybe for the Whitecaps, even just for, for, for one of your club teams, Macy Sports is also the place to go. They'll have you covered in all of those areas. So located near the Second Arrows Bridge in North Van, make sure to check out Macy Sports. If you say you listen to the third sub, you will get a slight discount. So make sure to head over there and check them out. But on that note, we'll get back to the show. And there we have it. Um, as mentioned before, you know, speaking of local Canadian soccer, the Canadian Championship. Let's let's start with that. We obviously, as of recording last week, there had been one game played for Drisala. We didn't talk about it, so we can roll through all four quarterfinals. I mean, Sam, before we go into all those matchups, kind of what are your your, your global thoughts from the, this quarterfinals of of, of of the Canadian Championship? I mean, I've seen that sentiment going around. I've had it myself personally. It feels like cup football is back in Canada. Do you feel the same way about that after the, these games? Well, it's so much better to have these CPL teams, you know, properly involved in it, right? Because 
Uh, there was, while it was magical at times, it, and certainly memorable at times, not always in the best ways, you know, I still got Michael Bradley imprinted in my mind from, from BC Place. i uh, never be able to get that out of my head. But, but Will Johnson ingrained in your head from that one goal. Yeah, Anyways. exactly. But uh, <laughs> yeah, too too many memories to, to, to look back on, but... I thought the CPL showed out really well. Yeah, they you know you didn't get the the massive upset of a of a Pacific over Vancouver Whitecaps, but you know I, I was I was cheering for my Wanderers there, and I thought they put in a good showing. And uh, you know certainly even even to some extent York. I mean I know the the score line wasn't very flattering at the end of the day, but I I think it's another example of how far CPL has come already. And then great to see, you know, two of the top teams in the CPL Cavalry and Pacific facing off against one another. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited about just the whole feeling of this competition. There's, there's so much more intrigue behind it. It's great to see fan bases sort of crossing over. Like we definitely got that with the Whitecaps and Pacific where, you know, you have you have your lakeside boys, you have your Southsiders, and, and and they don't necessarily interact a ton. You know, they're not facing off against one another. They're not chatting about the same league and the same things. But then you get these Canadian championships, and all of a sudden there's that crossover. There's that there's that kind of community that merges as one for those matches. And I think to see this happen more and more between MLS and CPL, and then you know eventually maybe other other leagues in Canada as well. It's going to be really exciting and I think just grow the the soccer culture overall and develop these little rivalries and connections that we've never had before. Yeah, no, I think it's huge on so many, you know, fronts to just have these sorts of matchups with more, right, you know, regularity, even if it's a, a League One Ontario team taking on a CPL side, if it's an MLS side taking on a CPL team, hopefully soon we can see the elusive league one Ontario or PLSQ or league one BC team taking on an MLS team. It's because just... I, I think when you play each other in a, in a national championship or, you know, a, televised a, a, a domestic cup, the relationship between those two teams is, is never the same. Like it's, and, 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 you know, exhibition matches don't count. Like when you're playing for a cup, something that matters against one another, even when you're from different leagues, it, it makes a huge difference in in that relationship, that feeling between those sides going forward. Like, you know, Pacific Vancouver, that, you know, the, the relationship is forever changed. And, and I think that's, that's wonderful. And that's it. It's just, it's televised, it creates good memories. It puts these players on a platform for them to perform and potentially make a bigger move in the future. There's, there's all to love with these sorts of games. And as long as that, that keeps growing. And I think just, for example, seeing how important it was for Halifax, a small, you know, in the soccer community, they, they're, they're such a forgotten, they, they haven't had a whole lot of professional soccer history. And for them to host a CF Montreal, and even though he didn't play, to have Victor Wanyama come to town, seeing what that meant for a lot of people in, in Halifax, seeing legends of the Canadian national team, you know, you have to say it, a guy like Samuel Piet, he is the second most or third most capped Canadian, I think, on the the last the most recent squad come to town and play you know some of these players that they have and then in their disposal playing Lassie Lapalainen 
four months ago, he was playing for Finland in the Euros, and now he was on the field at Wanderers Ground. There's something just magical about seeing that, seeing the 6,200 that showed up for Halifax in full voice, cheering. You look at some of the other games, Pacific versus Whitecaps, what that meant for the BC soccer community, the revenge of all the former Whitecaps Academy versus the Whitecaps, yada, yada, yada. Those storylines are just, you can't help but be romantic about those sorts of storylines because sometimes league football, especially say in North America, where it's such a cold system, it can feel heartless at times. It just feels like you're churning out games. And I'll say, especially in the, in the wake of an announcement, like the league's cup whole thing where they're like, yep, we're going to force feed you Liga MX versus MLS games in the middle of a campaign. Well, honestly, I have my thoughts on that whole, you know, stupidity of a, of a, of a tournament for lack of better words. You know, I, I think the League's Cup could have potential, but it's it's a farce the way it is, and they're devaluing the Champions League. That doesn't feel the same as just these grassroots games where it's really helping Canadian teams. It's growing the game in Canada. And, you know, you just you feel like after a day like that where you watch that triple header of games, you couldn't help but feel good about it, even if you weren't involved. You weren't, you weren't a stakeholder in those games. And because of that, it makes it so special. And it's why they need to... it's going to be interesting to see where the long-term future of these going because or sorry where this goes because people are really cup football is becoming a forgotten venture you know people aren't investing in it's not a money maker but just seeing what it did for the what it can do for the sport hopefully they keep continue to grow and invest in the canadian championship and i think we we saw a glimpse of what it can it can do to people uh, yesterday and in this match day well if we're talking big picture about the canadian championship then i think it's worth bringing up uh, something I saw on Twitter and something we've already sort of thought about a bit in, in discussions we've had. Is it time to revisit? Is it time to think about changing uh, the Canadian player requirement? Because we saw Without a doubt. we saw TFC field three Canadians in the starting lineup in, in their matchup against York, and and there was a bit of an outcry on Twitter, and rightfully so, that, you know, is that really a proper representation of the Canadian Championship? Is that what we want to see moving forward? And I mean, I don't know what what's what's a reasonable number then, Alex? Do you think five, six Canadian Canadian players in the starting eleven? What what? How do you balance you know keeping teams MLS teams specifically, but also potentially CPL teams somewhere down the line? You want them to field their best teams if that's if that's what they're going to do, but you also want to make sure there's that good Canadian content as well. So where do you draw the line? I appreciate the debate. because I think it's a good question because in, in cups around the world, there aren't these sorts of requirements. So it's certainly a new thing, but well, you're, you're trying to grow something here, right? Rather than something that's already so heavily established. And when you have, oh. like, you look at, you look at, you know, the, the fourth or fifth division in England, they're not going to have a litany of internationals. Like it's going to be domestic players. So, so you don't have to worry about it so much. Well, that's what I'm going to say. I'm in support of more Canadians, but I'm just prefacing the fact that it's unusual. Yeah, it's a, it's a all, fair but, point. But what I'll add is there also, what, what's the difference that people forget England, for example, in the premier league, they have a domestic quota. No one Which talks true, about yeah. it, but they have a domestic quota where you need X amount of domestic players in your squads. And then from there, you know, you, you, you use what you have in, in all competitions. Teams in the MLS, I, they have a domestic quota, for example. 
but you can use Americans to fill that quota. So theoretically, you could have a team that meets your domestic quota in MLS and have zero Canadians if a team chose to do that. And Toronto FC has come close at times in the past of, of, of doing that with, with how little you know Canadians they've had at times. And the same in the CPL. They don't, I guess, CPL has a Canadian quota, so they're the, they're the outliers. And you know what? Shout out to CPL teams. I've been loving what I've seen. I'll just use the four games I saw yesterday. Calgary, I think it was 10 out of 11 Canadians, if I'm not mistaken. Pacific, 10 out of 11 Canadians. York was 10 out of 11 Canadians. Compare that to the Whitecaps, 3 out of 11 in their one game. Toronto, 3 out of 11. Montreal, give them a shout out. They actually went in on the Canadians, and they've been doing so in MLS play. So shout out to Montreal. And it's almost fitting that they're in first of the three Canadian teams in MLS play because of that. But I think as long as the MLS teams exist, they should improve the quotas just because it's really, it's really, I don't know. I'd almost ask you, Sam, do you think it'd be ethical to have a requirement that's only for MLS teams? Like, okay, if you're an MLS team, you need five Canadians. And if the rest you don't, because the CPL teams have no choice. They're only allowed seven internationals. They, They can't have more. Then, then, you know, they, they meet the quota no matter if they want to or not. So would it be fair to impose a quota only on MLS teams? Or I guess what you could do is you need five Canadians. And in, in reality, that only is addressed at the MLS teams, finger quotes, whereas, you know, the CPL teams can meet that quota. I'm just wondering, do you think Yeah, I, I mean, I think, I think that's the way you, you do it, right? You set it up in a way so you're essentially only restricting the MLS teams, but the rule in air quotes as I do it on the screen applies to everyone, right? So I, I think that kind of answers your question where you just, you, you format in a way where you're you're guiding the MLS teams down a path for this domestic cup and you're really leaving the options open for CPL teams because of the way their rosters are set up. But yeah, just it sucked to see... TFC fielding three Canadians yesterday. I, I felt a little dirty. And seeing they had that five. Lineup. They had just five in their whole eighteen. And like yeah. we mentioned, York started ten. Like yeah, it was, it's, it's not know, it's not good enough, frankly. And I I don't know how you do the requirements because again, the more you put you, it opens it up to an embarrassing situation where a manager even starts a Canadian and takes him off after a minute. Thankfully, we haven't which, seen Which that, we but. talked about in the, in the Whitecaps versus Pacific matchup off air. We were saying, what if Mark DeSantis that would be throws farcical. someone out and then pulls him off in the second minute? <laughs> I think that would be farcical. So I don't know what a fair solution, because you can't tell a, a coach to put X minutes, because what if an injury happens? Yeah. What if this happens? You, you can't they, have that requirement. Like It's always something that could happen. So we certainly have to find a way to to make it balance. But I think five Canadians could be a good option because all teams have enough for five Canadians. And Hey, if you're Toronto FC and you're like, Oh shoot, we don't have enough Canadians. The easy solution is to go buy some more trade for some more. There's some good ones kicking around and that only helps the, 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 the product, you know, that helps the, the, the question about getting more Canadians playing minutes, but it's certainly an interesting one. But uh, on that note, should we actually go into the games themselves? Because obviously they were all entertaining in their own way. Yeah, go for it. Why don't you? Why don't you just kind of break us down and, I mean, and well, give we, us your general thoughts? I mean, I guess you start Forge Forger's Valor, which was which is a little bit ago now, but uh, thoughts on that, and maybe thoughts on thoughts on Forge against against Montreal in the semis as well, because I think that's gonna be that's gonna be interesting, and maybe the well, I don't know. I think I actually I'm I'm very intrigued by both these semifinal matchups, but uh, yeah. Thoughts, thoughts I mean, on Forge overall and kind of get, they've been, I mean, they haven't been on top form this year, maybe not as dominant as 
we expected, but they they still have you know the top players and the and the quality to face off against pretty much anyone in Canada. Well, I'll just say, you know, I'll start. We'll start with all the quarterfinals. We'll we'll save the semifinals for the end. I think Ford versus Valor. That's a very good matchup for Ford. I think the fact that they avoided an MLS team in the the quarterfinals. You know, it was a good draw for Forge, and they took advantage of that. At home, 2-1 victory. You know, they made it a little closer than for themselves than they should, and that's kind of been a theme for Forge this year. They've been getting results third in the CPL table. They're, you know, they're in a good position in CONCACAF League to make a run. It's just this Forge team, they, they, they're, how do I, you know, it's hard to describe because they're, they're almost lacking that killer edge at times. And that's why, shout out to a guy I mentioned earlier, Wubin's Passes has been so key. They were struggling you know, they, they didn't, to be honest, they didn't fill the hole properly. If that was, that was left by sell, or trading, or I guess not re-signing Anthony Novak and having him go to Calgary. They struggled for guys up front. And while they had your Borges back and your Sabaks and your Beckers, and even your Mobabuli, who's been, he's been, de- he's been good actually with the amount of goals he's been scoring your David Schwanniers. They lacked a true, true number nine up front. And that's why a guy like Wubens Passius, who is 20, was making his, or 21, I think he had 20 or 21, making his pro debut. He's been so good for Forge because he's given them a true number nine. And that's made, that's why they've been so hot as of late. Cause they kind of feel like they're, they're, they have that presence they were missing before. Cause defensively, they're a hard team to touch there. They've been good at that for, for a reason. But what was missing was offensively, they felt a bit of a step off. And I think, this this game against Valor is kind of an example of where they are as a team right now. They can score. They're, they're at a position where they score goals. And even the goal they gave away to Valor was really Tristan Henry just having a nightmare of a mistake and giving the ball to Austin Ritchie and, and letting them score. So for me, I think we just saw a typical Forge performance. They get they always find a way to get it done in big moments against fellow CPL opposition. And because of that, I'm hyped for what they can do against Montreal because we were robbed of the chance to see them against Toronto earlier this year. I think this is the Forge is you look at the CPL teams that could give teams uh, an MLS team trouble. It's Forge, Pacific, and and uh, Cavalry, and arguably based on how deep Forge is and their experience and how code you know knitted tight knitted they are as a group, Forge might be the team that of, is the best suited to to do a run in the in the Canadian Championship. So I think overall it was a good game from Forge. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with most of what you said there. Other than I do think that you know, gotta give the gotta give the Wanderers a shout out because you know they did give Montreal a run there and, and scoring the opening goal and and you know putting putting the MLS team on notice just for a moment. It's good to get that moment. And I was I watched a good bit of this match and I was you know pretty impressed with the way Halifax managed to kind of blend. You know they're they're obviously coming in as the underdog and they're going to play that role, but they also you know took their chances when they had them and and at the end of the day it wasn't enough to get over the line, but that was a it was an entertaining match to watch. It was great to see the way so many fans showed up and it, and it looked like a terrific crowd for that event. So uh, I I certainly enjoyed that match and I, I think that you know yeah how I think Halifax honestly against against the Whitecaps or against TFC probably would have, would have stood a better chance, but Montreal had it pretty together in that match. And uh, yeah, maybe you can, you can do a little ode to Balu Tabla there who had, who had quite a half. Yeah. Well, I mean, nice transition into the second game of the, the four, I must say, but yeah, Halifax versus Montreal. It was an interesting one for Montreal because reading fan reaction online and watching, it was, 
not looking good after 45 for Montreal. They had the early goal. They were really saved by one moment of brilliance from Zorhan Bussong, who turned into Alfonso Davies running down the wing. And he made a, a fake shot cutback that I think Peter Schall is probably still going to see in his dreams for the next <laughs> week or two before Matko Mil- Miljevic, uh, the new signing there, scored the, the equalizer. But other than that one moment, Halifax hung with them in Montreal. And credit to Montreal, they adjusted nicely. It takes, like, Balutabla, we'll, we'll talk about it. That was his first time he even made the match day squad, not get on the field, made the match day squad for Montreal since 2020 when Cherry Henry was coach. And last year, he obviously, he only played, I think it was four games. He came quite late through the season. He scored a goal under Cherry Henry, which is always funny to think about that. He, this in less than a hundred minutes under Cherry Henry, he somehow scored. But basically let's just say he had a lot of injuries. He was kind of lost. He was playing for Montreal's U23 team earlier this summer playing against plsq teams and other university teams for him to come out for for wilford nancy to see that like okay you know what balu tablo has been scoring he has been scoring at the u23 level to have the confidence to throw him on fantastic coaching decision from from him and you know what shout out to balu tablo we saw him in march of the u23s he looks you know he was a bit slimmer he was he was lacking efficiency in front of goal he looked like a whole new player last night. He looks like someone who clearly, um, you know, amongst places that he's well aware of now, the gym is close to near the top of that list. He's stocky, but not only that, his touch looked better. His decision-making looked better. He looks like the kind of, the, the kind of player that people are wanting to see out of a, a Baloo Tabla. And, and that his sub really changed the the game once he came on. And then after that, obviously last year, night line and was a huge piece to have off the bench. Uh, Bjorn Janssen also uh, helped them stabilize the game a bit. Zachary Brogiar is just such a phenomenal guy to have off the bench. And ultimately, I think Montreal's depth shone through against, uh, against, sorry, against Halifax, whereas the difference between a Whitecaps versus Pacific, they went for it, the Whitecaps. And when they realized they were undermatched, they didn't really have much to stem the tide other than a Diber Caicedo. So, you know, that's that was the difference between the Whitecaps Pacific versus Montreal Halifax. Montreal got that scare, but they had the depth. They had the resolve. They fought through the end. It was a good performance from from the visitors. Yeah, I guess we'll transition kind of into the, the third matchup now. And, and this was an interesting one as well. I mean, I, I think a York team that continues to have, we were talking about it pre-show, you know, some of the, the same problems you, you can change your logo, you can change your look, you can change your name, you can change your management, but you know some things persist. A lot of good attacking options, but you need a, need a second center back there and need some more depth to just you know shore things up. And, and you have to give York some credit. They were able to hold on in, inside the first 30 minutes. They actually, in terms of when you compare with Halifax, they were able to hold more possession and keep things more even keel in that regard but then you look at the shots and uh it was an onslaught for toronto as the match went on and obviously you know when the floodgates kind of open there and you're up two nil inside the first 45 it's it's always going to be an uphill battle in the second half so that was you know you you would have liked to see it a little bit closer and a little bit tenser there but i think that you know we already talked kind of about tfc only only fielding three canadians to start and uh certainly i i think it was about as good of a 4-0 showing as, as you could have had. I feel like the scoreline was a little bit unkind at the end of the day. Well, I'll just I'll throw it out there because obviously some Toronto FC folks 
they're happy with the result. And I think they, they need to be happy. They need a Voyager's Cup win. They're last in the standings. This would be massive for them. I'm not going to ignore that. But I did see, you know, a fair bit of chest bumping after a win like that. And you know what? They deserve that. But at the same time, if you're looking at it from York's perspective, I, you know, I understand with what York was saying, how they felt like they were in it and they could have got more out of this game. Because 4-0, just you look, okay, first of all, what were the third and fourth goals? A third one was a penalty in the 85th minute. The fourth one was a, a late goal where you're, you're kind of just, you know, it's rainy, it's been a long day, you give up, you allow a fourth goal. You look at the first two goals, those were the killers. York played well the first 35 minutes. They were in the game. And then again, you talk about their problems, center backs. It was just an inexcusable first goal, really, for for, for Jacob Schaffberg to have that much time to whip in a ball to a wide-open Jonathan Azorio, unmarked, in between the center backs. Like, you just can't, can't, can't have a mistake like that if you were, if you were to win a, a game, especially if you're not able to score any goals. And, and, you know, and that was the, say that was the difference between Pacific versus Whitecaps versus York versus Toronto. Pacific... If you think back, Pacific had a few defensive mistakes. They allowed three goals. They allowed some, you know, unmarked gold on two of the two of the goals. But what was the difference? They had the offense. They bounced back. Whereas York, when your your, your game plan was so reliant on keeping things close and etching out a one or two nil win instead of getting into a dog fight, you can't allow that Azoria goal. You can't allow that action, the Chara goal. The Chara goal was even worse, really. Because you're still one nil down, you're still in this game. To allow a char to run that unmarked and to need, he need the ball home, he barely got good contact on on the ball. Those two goals really summed up the night for York, and other, that that killed the game for for them. And that's really unfortunate because they actually attacked pretty well, had a few chances to make things interesting, but uh, it just felt like unlike the Whitecaps Pacific game where it felt like a true punch out between the Whitecaps and Pacific. York Toronto felt more of like a true underdog game. It felt more like the Halifax Montreal game. And unlike Halifax, they weren't able to keep it tight for, 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 for long enough. And it really was unfortunate because York versus Toronto had so much more upset potential than Montreal versus Halifax. This is a struggling Toronto team. The weather was awful. Everything was set up. York's been in good form. It was set up for them to, to make something of this game and two unfortunate errors really just sunk them. Well, let's let's talk then about the fourth matchup and the team that came out victorious that's going to face TFC in the next round, Pacific over Cavalry. I mean, I guess, you know, basic notes for me, Taron Campbell continues to be a beast. Uh, you know, we've been, we've been on this train for a while and uh, yeah, it's not stopping at the station. It's just blasting right through and going off into the sunset because he continues to bag goals, uh, you know, the best goal scorer and or you know one of the most prolific goal scorers in the CPL so far this year and uh CPL I, history I might add yeah I think he he deserves an opportunity at another level very soon and and what a great opportunity potentially to showcase it against a second MLS side upcoming here but then the other side of the ball I have to give credit to you know we're talking about attributes of center backs in back threes versus back fours. Uh, shout out to David Norman Jr. for uh, putting in a shift. Uh, we, we were talking about this early on with the under 23s, how, you know, this is truly a midfielder who is really born to be a center back. And he's, he seemed to find a role in this, uh, in this Wielden Jr. team. And uh, yeah, it was great to see two quality CPL sides 
in a high consequence match up against one another and a, and, a, and a pretty competitive one where I think ultimately the the better team won out and the, the team I'm more excited to see face TFC, but uh, thoroughly enjoyable. I think this is one of the first signs of Pacific showing that they can truly be a team that can lift the lift the North Star Shield. There, and there's absolutely with Forge. no reason they can't do it. Because that's the sort of win you get if you want to be a championship. Team. I was going to say too. I don't think there's any reason they can't win the Canadian Championship. Oh no, for sure. But I'm just saying for the North Star Shield because Forge is still the team to beat there, yeah. obviously, for a good reason. But just to to, to think about it. They went away to a cavalry side that has been very hard to beat at home in recent years and has, you know, been on a cavalry has been on a, the only team to beat cavalry, I think, since the bubble was Pacific or something like that. Like cavalry has been on a heater that no one's talking about. They're second in the CPL. They've been flirting with first. They've been switching with Pacific. So for Pacific to go to Calgary midweek in the middle of a congested schedule and go and etch out one of the most professional one nil performances I've seen from 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 a team in a while. That's just uh, that, that that was just phenomenal, really. I'm, I'm at a loss for words to really there clearly, but it was just phenomenal game management from Pacific, and you have to be proud of that result. And that really makes you believe because obviously, if they host Toronto FC, I don't think Toronto's ready for what Starlight's going to offer. I think that's another sold out five thousand game. I mean, Sataldo Pozuelo under the lights at Starlight. I mean, Pozuelo at this point, you probably won't see him, but just seeing Sataldo and Azorio and, you know, Michael Bradley, it's going to be, a, it would be a phenomenal night. And I don't care if there's a stupid, you know, I'll, I'll say it, a stupid coin flip to, to determine. Double side the coin flip so that Pacific <laughs> hosts the, the game because what an event that would be. But even then, seeing that result, you almost be confident Pacific's ability to go to BMO and grind out something, even make it close especially after what they showed against Cavalry. So for me, it was the professionalism of their performance that surprised me most. Otherwise, shout out to Taron Campbell. Eight goals in his last 11 games in all competitions, up to nine all competitions on the year, seven in CPL. He's been on fire. He's been playing as a right wing, but for whatever reason, he's just finding a way to get in the box and just get off good quality chances, finish them at a high rate. you love to see it. Otherwise, Josh Hurd impressed me as always. Shout out to Alessandro Hoya Bapur, who is, he bossed the midfield for me, Manny Aparicio, lots of good performances to talk about. On the other end, I think you highlighted a great player to, to highlight in David Norman Jr. I thought he did a lot of good things. Mo Farsi was certainly buzzing. Uh, you know, those there were some good performances uh, from, from, from those two amongst uh, many others. So I think it was just good to see two CPL teams etch it out. And I think if you're, you have to be excited about the prospect of Pacific Forge and Cavalry is top three of the top four teams in the CPL playoffs and finals. And by on the flip side, by Forge and, and Pacific being the two CPL representatives in the final four, I feel like there's the big things are coming for all of those clubs. And I think Pacific showed that uh, yesterday, I guess for us as a recording, but when they played Cowboy. Well, yeah, let's, let's talk about that final four a little bit then. Uh, you know, two CPL teams, two MLS teams, really the two, you know, the two most consistent CPL teams over the last year or so. Cavalry certainly picking up steam lately and, uh, you know, narrowly missing out there with the lost Pacific. But uh, how are you feeling going into this, these two? 
I think I'm gonna, you know, if I'm gonna go out on a limb right now and make a prediction, I'm gonna say we get we get one CPL team and one MLS team in that the final. That would be phenomenal. But uh, I think that's the ideal scenario. Uh, but I, I don't know if I'm not gonna I'm not gonna reveal who it is just yet. I'm, I'm interested. I'll throw one for, out there. I don't I'm interested care. for your thoughts. Pacific versus Montreal. I'm saying it right. Yeah, now. that's that's what I was gonna say too. I, and, and I guess I'll launch into my reasons for why. It's all based on something very simple, which is just the form guide. And Pacific has been the hottest CPL team. Montreal, so far this year, has been the most consistent MLS team. And I think that I just look at Forge and Toronto, and you already kind of brought it up with Forge. Like they just. They've been on cruise control at times. They, they haven't always brought their They're best. They're focusing on CONCACAF League 2. They haven't always brought their best game. They just, uh, something feels, they're they're kind of ready for CPL playoffs, but they're they're just kind of waiting for that. They're, they're lying in wait. They're, and I feel like they might, you know, that's not going to be enough against an MLS team and a good MLS team in Montreal. So I, I feel like they come up just short there in a close one. And then TFC, you know, yes, they've, They've improved a little bit since the coaching change, but there there's still a lot of dysfunction defensive, there. Defensively, As Alex shakes his head and defensively they can be an adventure. That's yeah, and, and I mean the power of Palmaduka and just the the confidence that Pacific must be feeling right now. I feel like if that's if there's a destined team within the CPL ranks, it has to be Pacific. So, man, I, I'd be all in on a Pacific. Uh, CF Montreal matchup in the finals. That would be so Starlight, much, please. So Again, much fun to watch. My goodness. <laughs> but uh, I'll throw mine. Forge for Montreal versus Montreal for me. I think Forge is going to make a game out of it. I think, honestly, Forge oh, has his... No, no doubt. I think both these oh, games, I, very competitive. Very competitive. I think Forge can make a game out of this. They could easily win. I just think Montreal, what they have is they have depth. Like the fact that they played a B team in Halifax and still etched out a result shows you that, hey, you know, Montreal is going to be able to play an A team against Forge and do well. And what we have to remember is these games theoretically are supposed to be played within the next two weeks. What does Forge have to do with? Forge has to travel down to Panama sometime over the next, I think, week or two to go deal with CONCACAF League. And while Forge is deep enough to handle that, you know, it's that's hard enough for an MLS team to have to deal with the bounce back of going to Panama and and, and then back to Canada to play games with midweeks thrown in. So for a team like Forge to have to deal with that, especially against a team like Montreal, it just feels like it might be one hill too high for them to climb. But there's a team in CPL that I wouldn't put past them being able to over to surmount it. It's Forge, no doubt. I just think with the way the circumstances are for them it's going to be tough with the CONCACAF league plus CPL plus Canadian championship uh, whole, you know, combo. But as for Pacific Montreal or Toronto Pacific doesn't have that CONCACAF league uh, to deal with. They are one thing we have to remember with Pacific though, there's for whatever reason with their schedule, the next like six of their games are all on the road. So they all are going to be quite road weary in terms of their travel, but I think with how Toronto, you know, against Toronto, they're going to be a lot more rested against each other. It's not going to be like Montreal versus Forge, where Montreal is probably going to be the fresher team despite having played more games. I think because of that, Pacific should have more of a chance of beating a Toronto team that also, Toronto feels like it's fragile. Like, yes, they beat York 4-0, but it really feels like had they given up the first goal, they're a kind of team that if it was like Montreal and they gave up the first goal, they really could have crumbled. Whereas they need... 
to to win they need to have a 4-0 win like they did versus York where there's you know nothing goes wrong for them it's really a uh, you know something where, where they, they manage to etch out a result whereas you know Pacific that can be a team that will trouble them and put them on their heels and make them go through that and because of that I just think that 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 game feels like it really has a cup set on 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 the cards more so than when York was was playing Toronto. So that's kind of I agree with you on the on those where we think it's going and that's why. But honestly, what I think it is wide open. I think we could easily see a Toronto Montreal rematch. We could easily see a Forge versus Pacific um, rematch. But uh, otherwise, or not Forge versus Pacific rematch, but battle. Sorry, we could see a Forge versus Toronto Pacific Montreal. We could see any sort of combo. I'm ready for all. But I'll we'll throw it out there and say I guess the official third sub prediction is Montreal Pacific. I, I like the way you kind of broke down the possibilities in that uh, Pacific CFC match because I could see it happening very similar to against the Whitecaps, right? That early goal just unsettled just unsettled the Whitecaps, and, and then it's high scoring. It's it's you know it's chaotic, but I feel like Pacific can come on out on top in those kinds of matches. And on a very basic level, I I do think the Whitecaps are a slightly better team than TFC, at least so far this year. So if, if Pacific's capable of uh, creating an upset in the first one, I don't see why they can't do it in the second. But before we sign off here, uh, there's some Whitecaps news slash CPL news to talk about. Um, yeah, uh, a shot from the, from the top rope, not something I expected to see in my timeline today, but congratulations are in order to Phil DeSantos, um, so long, Rob Gale. Uh, hello, Phil DeSantos at the Valor. Um, Valor, you know, terrible run of form since leaving the CPL bubble. It's been Strugglesville, but maybe not the DeSantos a lot of people expected to get a to get a CPL job or to to move on right away. But uh, not too it, late. It's Phil taking over, and and uh, yeah, it's uh. Not something I, I necessarily saw coming, but I, I think it might be the the structure and tactics, which has been Phil's specialty in, in his time in MLS, that someone like Valor might need. First of all, you have to feel for Rob Gale, whether or not what you think of him as a coach in terms of his tactics. By all accounts, he's been a nice guy. For me, personally, I haven't dealt with him much, but he's... You know, he's, he's been a good guy to deal with from the short interactions I have. Everyone who talks about him speaks of him highly. He's obviously very important to the Winnipeg soccer community, and that's going to hurt just that they've had a, a guy so invested in their city. And it's it's going to be a transition to go to a guy like Phil, who admitted today that he's never even been to Winnipeg. This is going to be a new learning experience. That is going to be – you hate to see a guy, you know, involved in the soccer community like that lose his job. But on the other hand, from our perspective – excited for Phil DeSantos. I think Mark DeSantos said it as well on Instagram that he's proud of his brother, that this is a moment they've been long waiting for, for him to finally get that first shot as a head coach. And I think he's ready for people, you know, people see what Mark DeSantos did in front of the scenes for, for the Whitecaps. Phil DeSantos was doing a lot of the tactical work, the set piece work, all of the, you know, being the good cop, bad cop kind of, you know, with, with the players and, and doing a lot of the communicating, communicating, sorry, with, with Whitecaps players, Phil DeSantos was very, you know, under-talked about, let's say, in, in his role as uh, doing all that. So it's nice to see him get a role. I think the CPL will be a good level for him to start at. I think Valor has the pieces for him to, to do something this year, but also what's nice is it's a long-term project. I think with his connections, he can score some really good players for the offseason. 
uh, going forward and maybe even some white caps low knees. Maybe that could be an agreement that that's worked out because obviously Axel Schuster does have a working. He says he has a good relationship with the DeSantos brothers. This could be a way to, to, to open up some doors. So you have to be happy for Phil DeSantos to get this opportunity. And Hey, if Mark DeSantos somehow say just throwing two possibilities out, out there, I think Mista's safe in his job in Ottawa, but say something, say Mista were to leave Mark DeSantos going back to Ottawa. What a story that would be. If not, if Quebec was to get a CPL team, no, there would, it would be pretty smart to get a guy in Mark DeSantos from Quebec who also speaks French as a head coach. So say Mark DeSantos were to get back in the CPL within the next year. How cool would that be to have a first Mark DeSantos versus Phil DeSantos derby of, of, of sorts but uh enough about mark we'll, we will we'll talk about him in the future because obviously up to a lot of interesting things but great for phil to get his moment and hopefully he can uh this can be a good launching pad for him because it's good to see more canadian coaches get an opportunity like this well yeah you already sort of touched on it but you know uh not only you know head coach but general manager and so immediately that my thought goes to that player procurement and and what we're going to see because I think that's very interesting and now get a comparable of obviously you know prior to Axel Schuster being in the fold Mark and Phil together were were doing a lot of the scouting work and and we saw some of those acquisitions so I'm I'm super super curious to see what that will look like at the CPL level you know obviously CPL's got its own sort of recruiting structures in place how will Phil adapt to that uh, I think it's just a super interesting comparison. We're going to get to see Valor play, I'm sure to some extent, some of the styles and tactics that we saw the Whitecaps employ for a couple of years. It's just going to be such an interesting test case. And uh, yeah, we'll certainly be watching what, what Mark gets up to as well, wherever wherever he ends up. But uh, super happy for Phil to, to find another gig and a, and a really exciting one at that. And yeah, all the best to Rob Gale as well, who... Uh, has done a ton for Canadian soccer overall, and, and I'm sure he'll find a good role somewhere to continue doing that because uh, he, he's certainly a well-respected guy across the country in Canadian soccer circles. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see CPL head coaches starting to fall. It's starting to be a who's the next to go. I mean, looking over, uh, obviously, if we're going to coast-to-coast, Pacific were the first to move. I think they, looking back, going from Michael Silberbauer to Pamadou Kyle, like, wow. Wow, slight, what a, what a slight upgrade there. What a decision that was over at Edmonton was firing Jeff Paulus or I guess Jeff Paulus leaving and going for Alan Koch, the right move. Still early, Edmonton, a lot of the same struggles. But I think Alan Koch is the good guy to, to helm that, that, that team and maybe help them get through this. Cavalry, Tommy Wilden Jr., about as safe as they come in for good reason. If anything, you worry about him getting poached. Valor, obviously, they made their move. Uh, you look over at Forge, Bobby Smirnotis again, like with 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 Tommy Wilden Jr., he's only leaving if he's getting poached. York United, they're kind of a team that's continued to, to, to underperform relative to some of the talent they have. Mike Jimmy Brennan, it's tough because he's also very involved in the team uh, uh, upwards, but might he be one to fall? Who knows? Ottawa, how long, how long the leash does Mista get? You never know. And over in Halifax, Stephen Hart does seem to be pretty safe. So going to be interesting to see where the cpl coaching you know market goes what's going to happen when new jobs open up with with the arrival of new expansion teams in the coming years so uh, lots of interesting stuff going on there absolutely it's a when you break it down like that it's a pretty strong roster on the coaching front uh there's a, there's a lot of la- names to like there and uh 
Yeah, Phil, Phil DeSantis joining a class, I think, of, uh, you know, it, it's an opportunity now where even in comparison to a couple of years ago, that can be viewed as a, a pretty legitimate stepping stone, I think, to to bigger coaching jobs down the road. So big opportunity for Phil long term. And uh, it'll be interesting to see whether a Wielden Jr., whether a Pamadou Ka, you know, at what point. Or a do, smear notice even. If, if or do those guys get poached i i think is is a really interesting question for the league and and how those teams if if a coach is going to leave you know are they able to replace him are they able to keep the the sort of reputation and the quality in those teams once a coach departs that's that's more of a big picture thing for cpl they haven't really had to deal with yet but i'm i'm excited to get to the point where cpl teams are dealing with those sorts of problems because it's good problems to have when your organizations have enough success that, you know, bigger, bigger clubs elsewhere are looking to poach your talent. Well, it's going to be, we can certainly discuss this in the off season when results are more final, but just yeah. looking at what we've seen through a small sample size in 2.5 years, the talent, despite being quite similar across teams, we've seen a clear difference between sides that are well coached and sides that maybe aren't as well coached. And that shows these guys' abilities as, as coaches if they're shining through like that. So it's it, surely if people are paying attention, they will notice that and and consider that in their decision-making long-term. But uh, on that note, since this has been a very jam-packed episode 111, love that number, so I'm happy we went all, all in uh, for this episode. Um, I guess we'll, not much else to say, really. We'll be covering the Whitecaps game versus Dallas. My Self, I will be on site at BC Place for, for that one. So I'm excited. Always nice to cover local soccer. So on that note, you can find me on Twitter at Alex Gongaruzic at BTS Van City, btsvancity.com. And now I have a media account on Instagram at AGR on the case. So if you do want to find some more different stuff from what you see from me from Twitter, a little more behind the scenes, a little more, you know, photo video fun. I am on Instagram now. So if you do have that platform, you can find me there. But Sam, I'll throw it over to you to close things off. Yeah, I mean, make sure make sure to check out that account. Uh, you were you were shooting some film at uh, at Starlight yeah, the other day. I was the, indeed shooting film. The the pics look great. Uh, yeah, so check out that account if you haven't already. Alex just you know continues to be a man of multiple talents, so that's great to see. But uh, uh, for me, you can find me as always at Samuel underscore Robot on Twitter at eighty six forever dot com. Um, obviously, you know, here on the third sub, we're going to have to see, you know, we, we were doing those live segments in the building. Um, obviously that's not possible anymore. So we're going to, you know, you're going to have to bear with us. We'll continue to stay creative here on, on what we do around match days. And, uh, hopefully I can still find a way to, to get involved in it. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned on the, on the third sub socials, third sub pod on Twitter, the third sub on Instagram. And uh, yeah, we'll have more of that content coming, but we're going to have to be adaptable here as we kind of figure out the process. Most of these matches for me, unfortunately, the rest of the year happening at 2, 3 a.m. local time, which is which is less than ideal. But uh, yeah, we'll figure it out here. And uh, thanks so much for listening, everyone. This is a this is a fun chat and Alex over to you to sign off. Yeah, I think pretty much on that note, just stay tuned for whatever else we have coming. We're 
suddenly in a routine of, you know, at least once a week podcast, maybe once things settle down, we'll even go back to two if there's continues to be weeks like this where there's just so much to talk about. We might have to. Might have to split things up. Obviously, you know, live shows will, I'll, 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 I mean, I'll, I'll talk about live shows since we haven't obviously been doing them. We'll see about the future of those just because since football has returned in live capacities it's been a bit harder to do live shows both for the viewers and listeners so i mean if it's, it's something that you're interested in you can always let us know and we'll see what we can we can do on that so obviously a lot of fun stuff and just shout out as always to the listeners for 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 tuning in and, and, and supporting the show it means a great lot a great deal to us we see all of the support we see people listening we really you know appreciate it that we've we've had these many episodes and you're still listening in and uh I, I guess other shout out just again shout out to, to the folks over at, at Macy Sports so on that note we'll catch you again soon for episode 112 and maybe on the socials on one of the many platforms available to us but on that note see you all and ch- uh, see you soon